how a good man dies. Now, the eighth verse of Genesis 25 is the key verse. I hope you will keep your Bible open because I will be asking you to refer to some phrases that are here. Genesis 25, verse number 8. There are a couple of expressions in this verse that are by no means usual. I think we would have to say they are unusual statements. One of them is full of years. When Abraham was full of years, now this has to mean more than length of days, for the verse also says he died in a good old age, an old man. There is some deep meaning here, it seems, in this eighth verse of the characteristic of the long life, not merely length of days. The meaning is understood better when a very slight change is made in the reading of the verse. And it is an accurate translation. This would be the way it could be read. When he was satisfied with years, rather than full of years. He was satisfied with years. It is the same reference as in four other places in the Old Testament. Genesis 35, 29 speaks of Isaac, the son of Abraham, dying full of days. First Chronicles 29, 28 is the record of King David, the great patriarch of Israel. He died in a good old age, full of days, riches, and honor. Second Chronicles 24, verse 15, speaks of a high priest in Israel by the name of Jehoiada. Jehoiada waxed old and was full of days when he died. And the last is Job 42, verse 17, where it says, Job died being old and full of days. Now, in every instance, you could read it, he died satisfied with years. As far as I know, these are all the instances of the occurrence of this phrase that we have. These men were satisfied with life. I believe what the text is saying is they exhausted life's possibilities. They drank from life's fountains. There was nothing more to wish for. They died with all their desires gratified. They died with no desperate clinging to life. They died with a willingness to let go. And friends, that is an important message to learn. It says in Zechariah 14, verse 7, At evening it shall be light. Now in the natural, that is not possible. But Zechariah is showing us something that Genesis 25, verse 8, is seeking to teach us. At evening time, it shall be light. It is a spiritual truth. The world says when you come to death, it's night. Long, dark tunnel, deep, dark valley. 
But the Bible says at evening time it shall be light. And it was said of Abraham that he died satisfied with years. Now in my introduction I also want to point out a fallacy that is all around us today. People often speak of life coming to its end. Are you listening? There is no such thing. That is an impossibility. God breathed into man the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Not a living body. Man lives in the body. He became a living soul. The body is dying. Your body is dying right now. And so is mine. But you are eternal. You're going to live forever. The reason we are here in church today and are beaming by television signal into homes is that you might decide where you're going to live forever. There are only two choices. And so may God by his Holy Spirit impress upon us today that man will live forever. That death is an intruder, a destroyer. Paul blasted the kind of enemy that men think of death as being in Philippians 1.21 when he said to die is gain. The natural man says to die is to be over with it, done with it, I leave it all, it's ended. That's why people commit suicide. They say this will end my pain, this will end my suffering, my heartache, so I'll leave life. They don't. If you can say to live is Christ, you can say to die is gain. Paul was saying that death would open a door admitting Paul to a larger, fuller, richer life. And that's the same thing we find in the life of Abraham, or should I say the death of Abraham. A fuller, richer life was unfolding. That's why he could say, I'm satisfied with the light. Let me compare it this way, if I may. God, when we were created, gave us thirst. God also gave us water to satisfy our thirst. And what a blessing it is. God gave us hunger when we came into this world. Some of you are suffering from it right now. But also, God gave us food to satisfy our hunger. God would be a tyrant if he gave thirst and hunger and did not provide water and food, right? God would be mean if he would let our stomachs bloat from hunger and die a miserable death by creating hunger but no way to satisfy the hunger or to die with our tongues hanging out parched because there was no water to drink. 
Now follow me. God gave us death, but only that we might attain to life. God gave us death that we might enter into the fuller aspect of life. I have shared with you before the statement I heard E. Stanley Jones say about death. He said this, death is the anesthetic God gives while he's changing bodies. God gives us death that we might attain to life. So we want to look at how a good man dies. There are two things in this text that you need to mark down. Number one is the orderly close to life. Solomon looked back over his life and cried, Vanity of vanities, all is vanity and vexation of spirit. There in retrospect were weary disappointments and thwarted plans we have all seen lives come towards an end, cynical and sour, pleased with nothing, grumbling, complaining, dissatisfied with life and all that life has brought them. And yet, these same people are clinging to it with a death grip. That always amazes me. These cynical, sour, disappointed, disillusioned people hating life and yet afraid to leave it, to let go of it. Some who hear me today have a past so dark that black shadows fall over your future. Life can close better than that. That's what this story is all about. In contrast to Solomon who said, vanity of vanity, all is vanity, and vexation of spirit, Abraham looks back as he begins his descent into the grave. He remembers the days since he went away from his father's house, becoming a pilgrim and a stranger. He remembers the heaviness of heart on Mount Moriah as he was asked to offer Isaac as a sacrifice before God provided a, a ram in the thicket. He recalls the pain when he had to bury Sarah, his dear wife. Yet, as he looked back, Abraham is saying it was all for the best. He died an old man and satisfied with his life. I have thought about my life as I have prepared for this service. And I have had to ask myself, if this day should be the end of my life, could I say what is said of Father Abraham? And do you know what? I have come up with a yes, I could. I am satisfied with my years. And if God with his knife should come today and cut in half your life, could you say, well, I have had enough, and now I am contented to go, so that back here is the life you've known up to now, and here is the life that God has in store for you in his eternity. Could you say contentedly, I go? It's important that you analyze that. When I think of my life and all of the blessings God has bestowed, 
I don't know of anything that I have not experienced. I suppose there are some things I have not, but I don't know of them yet. I have been through valleys and I have walked through hundreds and hundreds of trials with people. I don't know anything that I have not had to walk through. And when those pictures of my grandson came the other day, I thought, wow, is there anything left to experience? He is really something. You ought to see him. My wife has a, a book of pictures already. Line up after service. Full of years, satisfied with years. You remember the Apostles' Creed, which says man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. The moments and days of our lives are like scaffolding. The scaffolding is for buildings. What kind of a structure will be disclosed when the scaffolding is knocked down? Life now is like the scaffolding. What will be there when the scaffolding comes down? What will be the building behind the scaffolding? And I want to impress upon you that you can be young and still be full of years. I'm not talking about 175 as Abraham was, or 90 or 80 or even 70 or 60. Anybody can be satisfied with his years. The name Daryl Morgan means something to some of you. He was an associate here years ago. Daryl moved from here to the Northwest, where I pastored for 19 years. Daryl and I became close friends. Daryl was a beautiful man. Daryl became one of the most popular radio personalities in the religious sense in the whole Pacific Northwest. He pastored a church at the same time. He was chaplain of the police department in the city of Seattle at the same time. He touched hundreds and hundreds of youth and hundreds and thousands of others. One day, Daryl Morgan came to my office and told me that he had cancer. I noticed he looked puffy, rather swollen and thought it was strange because he was so thin and trim all the time. I said, Daryl, how long do you have? He said, I don't really know, but not long, according to the doctors, unless the Lord undertakes. Daryl Morgan kept right on with his radio program, kept right on with his church. Intermittently, he had to go to the hospital. Daryl Morgan died at 39 years of age. I would have to say of Daryl Morgan, he died satisfied with his years. He touched more people than most of us would ever think of touching in his brief span of life. A beautiful man. Jim Elliott, the missionary to the Alka Indians, died at 28, full of days with an Alka spear in his back. 
But Jim Elliot died satisfied with years and thousands have been touched because of the life of Jim Elliot, though it was only 28 years long. Your hair can be whitened with the snows of age, yet your life incomplete and immature. And I may be speaking to some of you today who are in no way ready to die, but there's snow on your head. And there are creaks in your bones. You are on Geritol seven days a week to keep going. But you're not ready to die. You're not satisfied with years. You cannot say, I am full of days. Oh, my dear friend, there is an open door for you today to be able to say what Abraham said. I'm satisfied if you will just come to the giver of all life today and let him touch you. People of all age need that. Life in grim desperation like a climber hanging on to a cliff. How beautiful the contrast to Father Abraham. He is full of days and just quietly goes home to God. I believe there is in the church even today so much fear of death that it's appalling. It's sad. It is not Christ honoring or God glorifying. An evangelist friend of mine had a lady bounce up to him after a service when he was praying for people and very excitedly said, Brother, you must pray for me or I'm going to die. God doesn't heal me. He said, Ma'am, are you a Christian? She said, Oh, yes, I gave my heart to Jesus many years ago. Then he said, What difference does it make? He just didn't like what he felt in her spirit. And then he proceeded to pray for her once she got the message. You know, what difference does it make? I am the Lord. He will not forsake me. Death is not the long, dark tunnel. Death is the opportunity to enter into life in its fullness and its power. Let us get rid of the fear, the morbid conversations about death. It is the victory of victories for all who believe. That's what this text implies. It's like a man sitting at a table who has had his meal. He is content to stay there, restful and cheerful but he is not unwilling to push his chair back to get up and go away, thankful to the giver for what he has received at his table. That is the way death should be for the believer. He has eaten at the table of the Lord. He has been blessed. God has supplied his every need. But there's a time when you push back from the table and get up with gratitude and go the way God wants you to go. And it's with gladness and joy and fullness, not say it's over. That's the way of the world. At any stage in life, it can be achieved. You may say, how, pastor? 
by a life of communion with God. That's how. God had said to Abraham, Fear not, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. You can look back and see only blessing. You can look forward and see a great light of hope burning in the darkness. I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. The gain that Paul speaks of in the New Testament is real. Man lays aside his infirmities, his temptation. He becomes perfect. His mortal becomes immortal. His corruptible becomes incorruptible. His weakness becomes strength. His marred life becomes glorious. He realizes all his aspirations and all of it forever. To die is gain. It is an orderly close to life on earth, whether 28 or 78. Whatever the case may be, to know Christ, to walk with God is to know the best of both worlds. Full of days. An orderly close to life, satisfied with his years. That's how a good man dies. The second thing of the text that is vital to understand is this little phrase at the end of the verse, being gathered to one's people. The phrase is used of Abraham, Ishmael, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, and Aaron. And once in Judges 2 verse 10, it was used of a whole generation gathered to one's people. Now, as you look at that text, notice that it is not the same thing as he died. For in the earlier part of the verse we read, Abraham gave up the ghost and died and was gathered to his people. Different reference altogether. It is not the same thing as being buried. For the following verse says, and his sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah. He was buried, but that was not all that happened to him. He was gathered to his people. The dust returns to the earth as it was. What was gathered to his people? Here, my friends, in the first book of the Bible is the powerful message of the continuance of the personal being after death. The immortal self in Abraham was not there when his sons put him into that tomb. Abraham was with the Lord. His shell, his tent, his tabernacle was buried in the ground awaiting the day of resurrection. But Abraham's spirit was with the Lord. He was gathered unto his people. Abraham never dwelt with his kindred nor in his country. He was a vagabond for God's sake. God had said, Get thee out from thy father's house and from thy kindred and from thy country. While great cities were being built, Abraham was pitching his tent on the plains of Mamre. Why? Because Hebrews says, Abraham looked for the city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. How does he get there? He is gathered to his people. The life of isolation is over. The life on the desert is past. 
The true social life of Abraham begins when he's gathered unto his people. He's at home in the city of God. That's glorious, victorious, wonderful. I am asked, when we get to heaven, Pastor, will we know our loved ones? Absolutely. You remember when Jesus went up onto the Mount of Transfiguration? There were with him Peter, James, and John. And as they were there, there appeared Moses and Elijah. And Peter said, Lord, let's build three tabernacles here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. How did Peter know who they were? Bible says you will know even as you're known. There are no secrets in heaven. People ask me who have a crib death. Will I know my baby in heaven? What form does my baby have in heaven? Well, not the form of a baby. That shell stayed there in that grave, that little grave, that little casket awaiting the resurrection. That person becomes a full-grown individual knowing everything that God will allow us to know in the hereafter. Intelligence, purpose. And when you walk through those pearly gates someday, there will come running up to you a beautiful life, full-grown, saying, Mama, Daddy! I wouldn't miss it for the world. Though I have not seen my father since I was a boy of 12, I know I'm going to know him, and he's going to know me. And my grandparents that I've not seen even further back than that, I'll know them. They will know me, because we're gathered to our people. Aye, what a blessing it is to be a Christian to know the Lord and to have such hope and such opportunity and such fullness gathered to his people with those lives shaped after his own life. Wouldn't it be terrible to have to think of spending eternity with ungodly, wicked despots, debauched people? Listen, my friend, I've had enough of debauchery and enough of pornography and enough of crime and enough of lust and enough of sin to last me forever already. I'm looking to be gathered to my people. I'm not planning to spend eternity with the despots. Death gives me the assurance that I'm going to be with my kind, my company. The Bible is clear to tell us who isn't going to get in there. The murder isn't going to get in there. The effeminate isn't going to get in there. The homosexual. We've got to repent of our sins, my dear people. Whatever that sin be, the liar won't be there. The warmongers won't be there. The backbiting gossipers won't be there. Hallelujah! 
We're going to be gathered to our people. When you give your life to Christ, you're shaped and sanctified by him. Then your country will be where he is and your people will be the people in whom his love abides and the tribe to which you will belong will be the tribe of which he is chieftain. You will rise from the table in the wilderness of this world having eaten as much as you desired and quietly followed the messenger called death into the city where happy multitudes throng the streets to your true home and there be forever with the Lord even as 1 Thessalonians 4, 18 declares. Hallelujah. The orderly demise and being gathered to one's people. Now in Luke 2, there's a beautiful story of one called Simeon, aged Simeon. He was old, good, and devout. But there was an empty place in Simeon's heart. There was something he had not found. He was waiting for God's promised Redeemer, the Messiah. One day, a couple from Nazareth came with a little Nazarene. And they placed that baby in Simeon's arms. And the Bible says that when Simeon saw him, he said, Let thy servant depart in peace, for my eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. Now those of you here in church and those of you watching me by television, there's an important fact here to get. No one is ready to depart until that wonderful moment when you touch Jesus. When Simeon touched Jesus, he said, I am now ready to go. Hallelujah. Nobody's ready to go until that moment. He is a light for the Gentiles and a light for Israel. Whatever camp you're in, you need to be touched by Jesus. There is a Savior. There is a book of life. Christ is ready and willing to receive us, no matter what dark clouds hang over our heads. Zacchaeus was hated by the whole city. He was a crook, a cheat. Everyone had the same damning opinion of Zacchaeus of Jericho, except Jesus Christ. He openly, daringly, confidently wrote down that, that outcast name in Luke 19.9 when he said, This day is salvation come to your house. Why don't you prove the world wrong? You can rise up to better things. Why don't you prove them in error when they condemn you and damn you? By touching Jesus Christ. And letting him say, this day is salvation come to your house. And that word salvation encompasses time and it encompasses eternity, my friend. Everything. Now and forever. 
There was a woman whose life had broken down in open and unblushing shame. Her whole being and character was depraved. When anyone thought of her, they thought of one thing. She was a sinner, an outcast. She walked the streets in shame. But Christ did not shrink back. The crowd held stones to take her life. He held mercy to save her, and he did. A thief and a murderer was ending his career in unendurable agony, in open infamy and shame, and in horror of gross darkness. Yet that throbbing head managed to turn in Christ's direction, and the parched lips were heard to whisper, Lord, Lord, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. Jesus Christ from the center cross said, Today! Today! Whoever made you to believe, you have to work your way in. You have to prove yourself to God for six months or a year or twenty years, Jesus said to that thief, that murderer, today you will be with me in paradise. I say to you today, 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 sir, today, ma'am, today, young person, today, salvation can come to your house. And when death comes, you can go aright. You can move out with the grace of God upon you. You can go with a smile. You can go with a song. You can go rejoicing because you have a whole of eternity. Jesus Christ is everlasting. He was with the Father at the beginning. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten, full of grace and truth. Take hold of Him. Let Him take hold of you. You'll be ready. It matters not how long the life, but how full of grace and mercy the life. Abraham was full of years. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit have been given to us. They are ours now and forever. That's how a good man dies. And ladies, please, the gender is not implied to leave you out. When we use the word man in this sense, it covers all of humanity. That's how a good woman dies as well. I think you understand that, don't you? We're all included. Now I close with this verse from the Psalms. Psalm 138, verse 7. It says, Though I walk in the midst of trouble, thou wilt revive me. And there's no bigger trouble that faces man than death. But when you walk through the midst of trouble, the Lord says, I will revive you. You know about a resurrection, don't you? In a tomb outside of Jerusalem, long ago, 
there came early in the morning some of the followers of this man, Jesus. And they found the stone rolled away, the door was opened, and an angel was inside saying, He is not here, he is risen as he said. Whatever trouble you're walking through, God says, I will be with you, including what man says is the biggest problem, death. Then vanquished until we can shout with the apostle, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Jesus lives. Jesus walks this earth touching humankind. Preparing them for eternity. If you need his touch, he's as close as that person sitting next to you. Bow your heads with me in prayer, would you, all over the sanctuary?